Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is Dialogue. Hello and welcome to Dialogue. 2024 has been called the vote mode of years by a U.S.-based global political risk research and consulting firm, with the top three global risks listed as the U.S. versus itself, the Middle East on the brink, and a partitioned Ukraine. Will 2024 indeed be the vote mode of years? Who or what is the source of today's global risks? And what are the predictions for China-EU relations in 2024? Joining me today in Munich is Professor Max Ota, German investor and entrepreneur. Welcome to Dialogue,、uh, Max. If I may call you, we'll start with、um, actually、uh, Tucker Carlson's interview with、uh, Russian President Putin, and that was widely criticized、uh, in the Western world, I would say, in the U.S. and also in this country, in this part of the land. And you disagree with his criticism? Tell us. Of course, I mean,、uh, I've been following Tucker Carlson for a long time. He's a brave man. You don't have to agree with him, but、uh, of course,、uh, there have、uh, some been some requests for interviews with Putin, but he declined those because he knew they would not be objective, so he couldn't speak his mind. So this is the first one he has accepted in a long time, and I think it's very important that. We see how Mr. Putin thinks and what his ideas are. And Tucker Carlson basically asked him about his opinion on various things. I, th- I think、uh, Putin is a very rational actor. You don't have to agree with him. And but that's of course the problem.、Um, many policymakers in the West were were concerned about to to actually see the real Putin. Let the real Putin be seen in the West, which is not the case, and has not been the case for for a long time. For maybe one and a half decades, Putin has been demonized, and he、uh, he was very much in favor of cooperation with Germany, with Europe,、uh, of a, a partnership. He offered his hand many times, and so now、um, he's outlining his views, and、uh, that was not very well received by our policymakers. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, it has uh, uh, all has to do with this Ukraine crisis.、Um, you know, the, the reasons for the Ukraine crisis,、uh, for the conflict there,、uh, have different. You know, let's say、uh, there are different opinions、uh, in the governments, like in Western countries. You know, this、um, basically the view is very firm. That is, Russia all to blame.、Yes. The global South actually people see oh expansion of NATO that presented.、Uh, You know this threat to national security of Russia. I mean, I mean there's secu- justified security concerns, probably on the side of Moscow. And what do you make of that? You know, what are the factors、uh, that led to this crisis? Well, one could talk a lot about this, but、uh, of course,、uh, <laughs> uh, I'm. One has to respect the country's legitimate interests, and uh, indeed, uh, it wasn't. It was, uh, was offered. My dissertation was a part about this. This is twenty、uh, years ago, longer than twenty years ago, that NATO would not expand, and then it started expanding in various rounds of expansion. So at some point,、um, Russia began began viewing this as a serious threat, and.、Uh, Um, of course, then we have the Euro Maidan, which、uh, more and more facts are coming out. I mean, I do believe that Western services had a hand in this. I mean, there's some evidence,、uh, but what I know is that after Maidan, the IMF changed its statutes to. That's lend- 2014, right? That's 2014. The, the IMF changed its statutes to lend money to Ukraine, and normally the IMF is not allowed to lend money. Countries in war, civil war, and what I also know is that、uh, Ukraine started to bombard 
the people in the Donbas republics. What I know is that there was a very anti-Russian, also anti-the Russian minority policies there. Nowadays, the Russian Orthodox religion is forbidden, opposition parties are forbidden. So um, um, every conflict has normally many roots uh, and, and there's causes for this. So I know Russia is not entirely to blame and I actually uh, uh, and, uh, share the opinion of my friend John Mearsheimer who visited me last year and he made a famous YouTube uh, explanation in 2015 why Ukraine is the West's fault. So if I was to assign faults, it would be mostly with the West. He mm, was a very popular and um, uh, Professor Mearsheimer, we did an interview with him too. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And of course now uh, there's, there are security agreements between Ukraine and Germany, between Ukraine and France and other European countries here. Of course, the US is debating about uh, more uh, aid to Ukraine. Do you think those aid will be, uh, say, play a role in deciding or shaping uh, the fate of the crisis? Well, the aid so far has prolonged the war. If there was one fault or one mistake, uh, probably Russia did, was not to solve this earlier and more decisively. I think Putin had a lot of patience. That's my, if I put myself into his shoes, I mean, 2014, he could have gone much further. He didn't because he trusted in the Minsk agreement. So all this, these weapons lead to a lot of deaths and, and a lot of suffering. And they won't change the outcome of the war, except except if this goes on and on and on, certain parts in Western elites might be able to escalate the conflict. And that's a, that's a danger still, but by and large, Russia has won this war. I, I said so one year ago, uh, and uh, so all this new... And you are not alone. Even today, yeah, including today, we just talk to people in, in Germany. Well respect. Yeah, in, but in Germany, there's not so many people who say this because opinion here is very much in one one direction. So, um, but right now, this this aid will only prolong the war in Ukraine. We know this is is quite a corrupt country, and so a lot of this aid is going into pockets of, of different people and so on and so forth. But. We'll see. I mean, um, Adivivka, um, the day before yesterday, collapsed, which was an important fortress. So maybe now we get some developments and that will force Ukraine to the negotiation table. Putin has said he's ready to negotiate again with, at the Tucker Carlson interview. So negotiations are what is needed. Mm -hmm. uh, that's true. And let's take a look at the, the global uh, risks for 2024. This is from Euro, Eurasia Group, uh, the consulting firm, saying that there are three you know, top risks. Uh, one of them, of course, the US versus itself, mm -hmm. and then Ukraine, Russia, Ukraine, Ukraine war, and then Israel versus Hamas there. And uh, what's your opinion on that? Well, I have to, let's say, make a little wider introduction to this because this is one of those times when the world system completely changes. And that happens often every 100 to 80 years or something like this. And this has to do with a rising power and a declining power. China is a rising power. I wrote a lot about this in my book, uh, World yes, System. Your book Press is 2019, right? 2019. And I wrote two chapters. of a global yes, system. Basically. Yes. I wrote two chapters about the rise of China. I wrote about the declining middle class in, in the West. I wrote about the debt in the West, so I wrote about many things, those all converge. But at the core of this, and I wrote this in my book, is the China's rise and a relative decline in the United States. And that means the total international balance is shifting. Um, and um, there is a theory called hegemonic stability theory that there's probably one leadership nation that sets 
the style for the world order and that since 1945 has been the US more or less and um, then when the hegemon is declining it might hold on to that power and become more aggressive in holding on to and so that's the real basic conflict the world is going through and everything we see all of those conflicts are secondary conflicts that basically come from this uh, basic structural uh, drift in the world system and um, uh, so those three risks, the U.S. versus itself, uh, Ukraine, Israel, Hamas, all, all um, I mean, the U.S. versus itself is one of the causes, and the other two are two of the consequences. Mm -hmm. and, of course. And in my book I said, this crisis is most likely to happen in the next few years, and we're in the middle of it. Maybe we're already close to the end of it. I expect it to end in two to three years. Terribly, well, we don't know how it will end, but it won't go on forever. Mm -hmm. uh, but it will last probably quite a long time uh, with the rise of uh, not only China but also like India or BRICS countries, mm -hmm. you know, uh, many more countries. Uh, according to the, the Indian foreign minister, like 30, some 30 countries are trying, showing interest to join this BRICS group. Mm -hmm. Most of them, of course, emerging economies, developing world, the global south. Right. That shows, I mean, indeed, what you call people would call like a multilateral system or new kind of like a <laughs> global order uh, is, is emerging. <laughs> I made a prediction in this about my in my book uh, in 19 uh, on page 398 and I said we have three scenarios and my most likely scenario was a new bipolar order unfortunately or fortunately whatever so bipolar order centered around the US and ever more dependent Europe so Europe is being dominated more by the US and another group centered around China, plus some, let's say, sub-centers like Russia, like maybe India, like, um, like Iran, like Saudi Arabia, that have somewhat, like Turkey, that have a somewhat autonomous um, uh, policy, but basically we have a new bipolar order with, with a few independent actors. Yeah, we will see, of course. That's, that's uh, my prediction. That's, that's the interesting part of that. Uh, and um, we know that you, uh, one of your very famous book, uh, what do you call it, like the coming uh, crash, yes. <laughs> or the crash will come. Yes. Uh, and they predicted this uh, crash of the financial system globally, uh, and two years ahead of uh, what happened there. Tell us what prompted you, you know, to draw that kind of conclusion, and you're right. Yes, uh, there were many things converging, but one of course was the gr growing indebtedness of Western nations, even then, this is uh, 15 years, 16 years ago. So um, then what I really saw was that the housing bubble was unhealthy and was about to collapse. And uh, Fortune, the US magazine Fortune in 2005, ran an article about the, cra uh, the, the collapsing, the f coming collapse of the housing market in the US, the subprime. So I, I put the pieces together and said, okay, we're at the end of a large economic cycle and this will lead to a big crash and this will lead maybe to economic reform and so on. What I didn't realize was that um, states, Western states got involved ever more in the, in the economy in the wrong direction, more uh, directed economy, more, more of the same, so more debt, more, uh, more government intervention to keep this unhealthy path going. So that, that, was, part, that was a part I didn't predict. Oh, so Okay, uh, mystics remain there, of remain course. unresolved. 
Well, let's take a look at this, uh, of course, e economic situation and a study from this country, for example, German economy. Last year, 2023, there's a shrinkage, um, what do you call recession maybe. And for this year, the prediction is like 0.9%, below 1%. So I would say there's a growth, but a very slow. Yes. What, why it's so slow? What's wrong with the economy? Well, I mean, this country, and, and it bleeds my heart as a German, I have my, my German <laughs> things You're here. You're a patriot. <laughs> so I am, I am, although I'm also a US citizen, but it bleeds my heart what's happening to this country. It's probably the most stupid policy any government can possibly conceive for the economy, I mean, worldwide, and for a long time. It's really, it's suicidal. I mean, we... Uh, like what policies? Yeah, we started with the energy uh, Vendor, the energy vendor, the, the turnaround in energy. So no fossil fuels, I mean, no, no nuclear power. And Germany had the best nuclear power plants in the world. And we had fantastic... down. Yeah. yeah, we just shut them down. We shut down. We, then we uh, let uh, North Stream 2 be shut down by some act of sabotage. We don't investigate it. was bombed. It. Yeah. So, so we don't investigate. We don't want to know who did it. I have my, I'm fairly convinced that the US was in the know and that the US did it um, and many people share this view but the government is not interested in thinking about it. Then we have, uh, our education system is declining so we have really uh, stupid policies. Um, we, um, high energy, we don't really value science that much. I mean, my Economist, I, I do respect a lot as Friedrich List, who was a great economist in the first half of the 19th century. He said, it's not free trade. I mean, you need trade, obviously. Um, it's not all about class struggle, or that's Marx. I mean, there's different, um, of course, interpretations, but it's about the system of productive forces. Germany doesn't have many natural resources. Um, it has lots of people, it doesn't have much land, so what did we have? We had, uh, we had people, we could educate the people, we could be number one in science, we could, be, we could have a cooperative system of labor and business and state, so not this antagonistic view that is, uh, let's say, Anglo-Saxon or free trade theory, everybody against everybody, but it's more a cooperative model which, which values science, education, the rule of law, all these things. And all of this is unfortunately is being dismantled and is being dismantled quickly. We have a somewhat of a cultural revolution with all the uh, uh, gender topics and a lot that basically diverts attention from the important topics, science, technology, um, stability, rule of law, all of these things are being neglected. So it's, it's really, it's really sad to watch. And also the value-based uh, foreign policy making. Uh, I, I want to have your views on that. You know, of course, that's uh, somehow it's like you have different ideology, mm -hmm. you have different political system. I tend not to do business with you. Yeah. <laughs> and that, so the de-risking each that role. The value, yeah, value-based foreign policy is the road to hell. Um, because, I mean, what Europe learned after 1648, the Thirty Years' War, when Catholics fought about Protestants for 30 years, who, whose religion is right. And after that, we said, no, his religion is his religion, our religion is our religion, we respect that, we respect that, we, 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 we trade, we talk to each other, but we respect each other. And, and that's the basis of a sound international order. You respect another country's values or system, and you don't interfere in domestic affairs. And this was the basic of a sound international order for a long time. And now this, of course, is all being um, 
put aside in, for the sake of a more ideological approach. And it's, it's clear why that ideological approach is happening, uh, because indeed the US is the declining hegemon, it wants to mobilize forces, it, it wants to um, maintain its position and it, it uh, recruits, let's say, ideological uh, motives and, and its own superior values. I just looked this up today. I mean, the number of prisoners in the US per 100,000 is about 500 in Russia, which is extremely high. It's the highest in the civilized world by far. The number in, in Russia is 300, which is still very high. The number in Germany is 68. So when you talk about prisoners and, and, and the society and, and homicides and all this, I mean, you could talk about anything when you go into a value-based order. No, you should talk about national interests, you should talk about the states, you should, talk, you should respect states as entities that have their own system and try to get along. Well, if I may be frank, I think, you know, obviously you have an influence of the U.S. in this country in terms of this ideological thinking, in terms of the U.S., um, you know, whatever you call it, containment of China you know, to slow down the Chinese development and then somehow they recruit like European countries to join them against China. Um, you know, there, there's this... Uh, of course, this relationship, uh, you have to find a balance or kind of being difficult you know, to conduct between Germany and China. We'll speak of that Chancellor, um, Chancellor Olaf Scholz is to visit China mm -hmm. in April. Right. So uh, what's your expectation? For a long time, China and Germany have been trading partners. The, the relationship has shifted, but that's okay. That's okay. I mean, that's, it's the dynamic in relationships. Um, and there was more of, a, more of a balance in former times. But um, let's say the US um, institutions are being instrumentalized to block Chinese foreign investment in Germany, but we have a lot of dominance and in foreign investment by the US in Germany. So um, the German dom economy and policy making has a lot of US influence, it's being dominated. BlackRock is the largest shareholder in our DAX 30 company. So, I mean, talk about foreign influence. The US influence in Germany is, is, is extreme. So, if Scholz comes and if he manages to maintain some kind of decent approach and relationships, that's all I hope for and, and, and I'd be happy if, it, if he does that. Well, uh, speak of the, the US uh, influence, you I think in previous uh, interview you said Germany has lost its uh, strategic autonomy and um, become a quote-unquote colony of the US. Yes. Do you still think so? Oh, it's even more so. I mean, the Ukraine war has really made Germany even more dependent on the US, totally dependent, I would say. Um, the cutoff from Russian gas, the ideological domination, but of course also the big tech, high tech uh, dominations. I know that a few years ago, large Chinese high-tech company was excluded from various deals, but of course the U.S. Uh, high-tech companies are completely dominating uh, the German uh, discussion. And then uh, Microsoft has now announced to remove certain unwanted content from, uh, from, from Windows and so on and so forth. So there's a huge influence. Uh, and the only party that questions this is the AFD, which is pretty strong right now. It's the second strongest party. but. All the other parties don't want to uh, cooperate with the only party that roots, let's say, for German independence or autonomy and so on. And that's why the AfD is being de de uh, demonized. But indeed, uh, Germany right now is totally dependent on, on US influence.
you know, uh, we, we see this um, in the recent report from the U.S. measures against uh, Volkswagen, you know, the Chinese production and export their car to the U.S., the customs. In the this, if I may, this, yes. this colonization, this dependence is in fact uh, the consequence of a uh, legal revolution. The U.S. applies its own laws, which should only govern the U.S. internationally. So if somebody does business with the U.S., they use that to blackmail that company. I mean, if it then does business with China and they say, oh, this is not in accordance with U.S. policies, that third-party company gets problems. And so that's very, very imperialistic in, in some ways. Yes, and also, uh, in a way, they have influenced the uh, thinking here to the point of uh, you know, pursuing a policy of de-risking and also calling China the systematic rebel, things like that. But still, as you said, we have a trade. China remains the largest trading partner of, uh, of Germany for like uh, consecutive 80 years, if I'm uh, uh, right. So um, there's, um, you know, the question that people from China would ask, like, uh, you know, uh, yeah, de-risking policy that will obviously affect trade to some extent. Yes. It's really about to what extent, you know, investment from this country to China that will yes. be under scrutiny. Yes. Chinese investment will also yes. be take a cl taking a close look, things like that, you know. Do we have any clear idea, like, uh, to what a degree that will affect uh, relationship? Yes, what you call de-risking, I, uh, 18 years ago in der Crash kommt, called deglobalization. So it is normal for the international systems to have periods of globalization and also of deglobalization. Mm -hmm. When I called it out 18 years ago, nobody believed it. But now we're in the process of deglobalization and de-risking is just another name put on it. So I would be happy, I mean, I, I expect that deglobalization to continue. Um, in line with the bipolar world I see. I, one center, center around China, one around the US, a basically dependent Europe on the US. So that's the West, and the West has this kind of wagon circle mentality. So they draw a circle around themselves and um, let's say isolate themselves more. I mean, so we, we see how far this goes. I, I, I'm afraid it will continue, but I hope it won't go too far and too fast. Mm -hmm. Well, at the Munich Security Conference, um, you know, if you read their report, uh, the report says, you know, without the participation of the Global South, there won't be international security. Uh, it seems to me they are very, they, they remains open, they remain open to, like, welcome the participation of the Global South. Uh, so, is, is that the case? And they did mention that, you know, um, there's a possibility or there's, you know, worse the, the worst scenario could be like a lose-lose situation. Well, but unfortunately, of course, the worst scenario is also a possible scenario. Let's not hope it turns out to be that case. But now, of course, at those conferences, you make statements, let's say, for potential allies. So he says, yes, the Global South should be included and so on and so forth. But uh, the way I see it right now, uh, the West is really losing trust. There's the loss of trust in the dollar. There is, uh, is this conflict in Gaza, which has cost, of course, the U.S. and Israel and supporters a lot of credibility in, in the South and in the Arab world. Saudi Arabia is going its own path, breaking away to some extent from the U.S. Uh, Iran is, is manifesting itself. So. I think that's more lip service right now. Right now, this focus is very much on the West and on, let's say, the conflict with Russia and, and what I really also 
Seawall's great worry is, is that there's now 30 exterritorial US bases in Norway, and the Norwegians like this, but it's, it's an extension of those, uh, this confrontational attitude towards Russia, control of the Arctic, and so on and so forth. So, in, 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 in reality, I think the West is on a pretty confrontational course. Mm -hmm. do, do you think there's also a problem, a concern on the side of the um, EU or European countries, like um, the concern is like, okay, there's a loss of um, you know, cheap uh, Russian gas and uh, energy, and now they are trying to I mean, de-risk from China, for example, the China market, uh, that, uh, and also there's a loss of credibility mm -hmm. uh, from the global south, you know, when right. the West they right. often, you know, re uh, side to this rules-based international order, right. um, but seems to me like there's a set of rules when it comes to Ukraine crisis, but it's different from Gaza crisis. Completely different, quite hypocritical, so I mean it's, it's being used as it fits, and uh, um, let's put it this way, if you go on a confrontational course um, and, and you encircle yourself, if sound policy and the rule of reason if you, if you deviate from that and if you have a suicidal policy or a confrontational or sometimes for, the, for Europe very stupid policy, you have to replace or you have to replace reason with ideology uh, to continue on that rather unsound course. And that's what we're seeing, a pretty big ideologization of, of, of our countries, which I deeply deplore. I, thought, I think reason should prevail, but right now we see a lot of unreason. And let's talk something personal. You know, you uh, you were a long time CDU member, um, and then of course uh, you had to leave the party and run the in 2022 the German presidential election as a candidate of uh, the AFD. Mm -hmm. For those who are not familiar with this uh, politics in this country, AFD is a, is as reported as or is described as the right wing party, um, but it's a very popular. Yes, it's, uh, approval yes. rating is like a second, right? Yes. Uh, so, tell us, you know, uh, why did you take that move in 2022? Like, uh, you know, it seems it cost you uh, politically and academically. Of course, it, it cost, I, I left my professorship position, my tenured position five years ago because there was just too much to do. I'm an entrepreneur and I write books and so on, so I couldn't stay on at the university. Yeah, so I left it voluntarily. I said, I quit this because I have too much to do. But um, the AFD is being demonized. All the other parties are pretty much against it, but it's a party of reason. It's a patriotic party. It, it wants good relations with Russia. It wants to put Germany's interests first, which I think are the right, uh, is the right thing to do within reason. I mean, um, and um, with that candidacy, I wanted to make a sign for uh, the CDU to talk to the AFD to be more open and I got second most votes so it, uh, and it certainly created a lot of uh, attention but of course financially it was not good for me and <laughs> also of course German media don't talk to me that much anymore I was a lot in Germany German media before but that's that was worth it it was a um, it was a sign that we should not exclude AFD from the dialogue. Finally, what's the outlook of uh, the world in 2024 and beyond? Yes, uh, as, uh, as I said before, we are in this process of completely changing the world system. And this has started in some ways in 9-11. It has accelerated since the financial crisis and we had the migration crisis in the West, then uh, COVID, then the Ukraine war broke out, and then Gaza. Well, thank you, Professor. Also. My pleasure. Thank you for talking to us.